Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Isaiah. The, the uh, Old Testament prophet Isaiah chapter 11 is where we are today. We're continuing our series, Hope from Isaiah, and here's the key concept today, a better day is coming. That's the hope. Hope for a better day, an eternal kingdom of God. While you're turning to Isaiah chapter 11, uh, I, just, I wanted to remind you that uh, now that we're back into the sanctuary and, and uh, things are kind of uh, getting started once again in our programming, we still have our prayer groups meeting. And if you have a prayer request uh, that you want to jot down on the prayer cards, which are available out in the literature table, you can fill out that uh, card, put it in the offering boxes with the offering that's on each of the doors, and we will distribute those cards through our prayer groups just like we used to do, and so you can do that once again. Okay, Isaiah chapter 11, uh, a, a better day is coming. That's the theme. I'll remind you that these, this series of, of sermons that we're in are taken from uh, an experience that uh, I had 37 years ago. Uh, 37 years ago, uh, I had bought a brand new Bible. The Thompson Chain Reference Bible came out in the NIV edition, and I went through the book of Isaiah, and I underlined a series of verses. I hadn't looked uh, at that for quite some time, but just recently I reread the book of Isaiah, and I noticed those underlined verses that, I, that struck me all those years before, 37 years ago, and each one of them was a, a verse on hope a hope. So this is hope from Isaiah. I'm getting a little ring off this microphone down here, so maybe we can just bring it down a little bit. Okay? So today, then today's verse in that series of underlined verses is Isaiah 11, verse 6. So look there with me. Isaiah 11, 6, it says this, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. That's Isaiah's description of that better day that's coming. But in order to fully understand what he's really talking about, we need to get a sense of the, of the context uh, of his comments here. And before we go to that, I want to tell you a story, a true story, that happened on November 22nd, 1963. Some of you will resonate with that date, November 22nd, 1963. It happened over in London, England. And in London, England, that evening, a play was being put on. The playwright was David Lodge. He was in the audience that night as his play was being performed. And in the course of the play, one of the actors uh, at a set time would turn on a transistor radio. Remember, this is 1963. A transistor radio and allow soft music to play in the background of the scene that was unfolding in the play. The station that they tuned into played the, the same sort of music every single night. They knew exactly what to expect. And so this particular night, he tuned into that station at the set time in the, in the play. He set the transistor down on a table that was on the stage. And when he did that, instead of hearing the soft music he expected, he heard the tones of a special bulletin, a special announcement. And then the announcer came over the airwaves and he said, we interrupt our normal broadcast to announce that today John F. Kennedy has been assassinated in Dallas, Texas. And immediately the theater was 
alive. People stood up. People ran to the doors. People were, were, didn't know what they should do, but they felt like they should do something about this. And all of a sudden, the, the theater began to empty because the play didn't matter anymore. And the reason the play didn't matter anymore was because reality had broken in, a greater reality. And I tell you that story because the perspective of the Bible, that the Bible and the Lord wants us to understand is, even though we might at times become convinced that this experience we're going through, this life that we're living, with it being so tangible and so solid feeling and everything about it, we might become convinced that this is the ultimate reality. But the message of the Word of God and God Almighty is there is a greater reality all around us, and it will break in. It does so in little glimpses right now, but one day it will break in and transform all that is. And that greater reality is the kingdom of God. Isaiah is talking about the kingdom of God, ruled by an ideal king. But for us to really comprehend how he's framing his thoughts, we need to understand the imagery that he uses. And in this section of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah uses the imagery of trees, specifically chopped down trees to point out what's coming for the nation Israel. Back in chapter 6, verse, six uh, verse 13, the imagery begins. It says, but as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. What Isaiah is pointing out is this. He knows that the Israelites will not heed his prophecy. He knows that the Israelites will continue to reject the way of the Lord. And so punishment will come. Judgment will come. And he pictures that judgment with the imagery of trees that are cut down. The nation is going to be like a felled forest, trees that are cut down, okay? And this tree imagery continues throughout the chapters until we get to chapter 11, verse 1. Look at it with me. He says, A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From its roots a branch will bear fruit. See, among these felled trees, among the stumps, he says, there is going to come, however, the slenderest of hopes. The hope, one of those stumps will produce a shoot, and from the shoot will come a branch, and that branch will come from the family line of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. The branch, branch that is referred to is actually a person, and that person is the Messiah. He will come from the family tree of David, he will come amidst all the wreckage of the, of the nation Israel, and he will come and be the ideal king. The person he's referring to is Jesus. He gave this prophecy more than 700 years before Jesus was born. But he says, eventually, the ideal king will bring about an ideal kingdom. The Messiah will come. And he goes on to describe this ideal king. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, or plus actually, he goes on to describe this ideal king. He says, well, he's going to be in the family line of King David. 
And we know that Jesus of Nazareth, both his parents came from the family line of King David. Their, their genealogies are traceable in, the two, in the two, two of the Gospels, and those genealogies converge in King David. That's why both of those genealogies are given to us in the New Testament. From David's seed will come this forever king, and his kingdom will be both ideal and eternal. This is how you identify him. First of all, he's going to be from the family line of David. Secondly, you will identify him by his anointing, by the way he is anointed. Read, read on in verse 2 of chapter 11. It's, he says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Instead of an anointing with oil, as usually the ceremony went in terms of human kings, this individual, this perfect king, will be anointed by the Spirit of God Himself. He will rest on Him. This literally takes place and is fulfilled in the baptism of Jesus Christ. You see, in the, in the coronation of a king, the ceremony included the, the high priest taking a flask of oil and pouring that oil on the king's head just a little bit so that the oil rested on the king's head. And when that oil came to rest on the king's head, it was the symbol that this person is being set apart to a new position to rule the kingdom. But the ideal king that's coming, it will not be oil that rests on his head, but it will be a manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God. And here is when that happened. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting or resting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love in Him I am well pleased. Jesus is the anointed one that Isaiah foretells. Messiah means anointed one, but not with oil from a human flask, but with the Spirit of God Himself. You will identify Him by this spiritual anointing. You will also identify Him, he says, by His qualities. The verses that I just read, verses 2 through the beginning of verse 3, list seven qualities that the Messiah will have. Glance through those verses, and I'm just going to name them, name the qualities. This ideal king will have wisdom. This ideal king will have understanding. This ideal king will give counsel. He will have power. He will have knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And lastly, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. In other words, he will love to do what his Father asks him to do. He will love to accomplish the will of God. Jesus demonstrated all those qualities while he uh, walked on the earth. You can summarize it this way. You're going to have a king of supreme intellect, a king that exert, exerts perfect leadership, a king that lives hum in humble piety before God, a king who cares for and guides his subjects well. Who wouldn't want a king like that? That's the king we're all looking for. And you will identify him not only by the personal qualities that he has, but because he has these qualities, you will be able to identify the perfect king, the ideal king, by the method of his rule. Continue reading with me. Start in the middle of verse 3. 
He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. His qualities will result in a certain method of rule. The ideal king will be a wise decision maker. He will be a defender of the poor. He will be fair to all those who suffer. And he will be a slayer of the wicked. And verse 5 says, the center of who he is, picture that garment, the belt that holds everything together, the center of who he is is righteousness and faithfulness. In other words, this is the perfect ruler. And all of this applies to Jesus. But notice, not all of it has been evident on earth yet. Some, yes, but not all. And that goes to the very nature of the kingdom that Isaiah is foretelling. It's a kingdom that is both already and not yet. It has broken through in, in glimmers, in, in uh, shadows, if you will, a little bit here, a little bit there, but it is coming in its fulfillment one day. And that brings us to our focus verse, the verse I underlined 37 years ago, the verse that tells us the, the nature of this kingdom. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. It's an ideal kingdom. What's being described there? Well, first let's understand what's not being described. What's not being described is heaven. It's not talking about heaven. It's talking about the fulfillment of the kingdom of God on earth that is coming one day. The kingdom of God is a place or, or it is the, the activity of God's rule. It is the realm in which God is perfectly reigning and His will being accomplished. Part of that is now and part of that is not yet. This is the great now and not yet tension that runs all through the Bible. The already part of it allows us to glimpse the fact that God wants to rule. He wants to rule in you right now, in you, as you surrender to His, uh, to his uh, 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 kingship, as you surrender to His reign, as you do His will and you say to God, I want more of you and I want you to take more of me so that I can be more a subject to your kingdom. That's, that's what's happening. That's where it's happening now. It's the already part. And that already part began on earth in Jesus Christ. I mean, listen to John the Baptist as he predicts Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 3, he says, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Why did he say it that way? He said it that way because Jesus was coming. The kingdom is approaching, and he perfectly represents the rule of God in life. The kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus himself uses the same language. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, he says, But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Why does he say that? Because he was with them. 
He inaugurated the kingdom, the example of one in whom God's will is perfectly being accomplished. He was with them, among them. He was the example. And in Jesus, the kingdom was breaking through like it never had before. In Jesus, God's will was being accomplished like it never had before. It was happening right before their eyes. And as you are in Jesus, the kingdom of God wants to take, heart, take rule in your heart. Okay? Now, you might think when the Jews heard this and when the kingdom was referred to, and it's a constant theme of Jesus' teaching. Just read the Gospels. You see Him teach about the kingdom over and over again. You might think they would have said, wow, this is just what we've been waiting for. This is exactly what we've always wanted. But that's not what they said. Because by the time that Jesus came to the earth, more than 700 years after Isaiah made this prophecy, the idea of the kingdom had changed, and the, the, the Messiah, the image had changed. It had come from a, a spiritual inbreaking of the work of God, and it began to be a much more political thing, a much more earthly thing, a much more Israel-centered thing. And so they were confused. When Jesus preached about the kingdom, no one said, hey, this is exactly what Isaiah was talking about all those years ago. But it was exactly what Isaiah was talking about all those years ago. Jesus personified the kingdom. And the good news is that God wants that kingdom to take place in His followers. He wants to rule in you. And He wants through you, who know Christ as your personal Savior, He wants through you to expand that kingdom on earth, recognizing that one day He will come in its fulfillment. You see, often when I give the invitation for people to say yes to Jesus as their Savior, I often explain what we're getting into by, by reminding you that Getting, coming to Christ as your personal Savior and, and converting in faith is not just getting you a place in heaven. It is getting that. Don't get me wrong. It is getting you that eternity with the Lord. But that's not all of it. When you say yes to Jesus Christ, I talk about you being part of what God is doing in the world now. And this is the theological backdrop for that statement. Because this is what God wants of us to be the subjects in His kingdom. Once you're a child of God, you're part of God revealing His glory. Once you're a child of God, you're part of God uh, 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 ushering in His justice. You're part of God showing His compassion. You're part of all that, that, all that He's doing. You're part of the kingdom, a kingdom-building project. And right now, in our experience, it happens heart-to-heart, life-to-life, person-to-person, and every time you say, I will bow to the king, and I will surrender to his rule, every time you do that, it's a whisper that something better is coming. It's a whisper of what will happen one day, for sure, forever. See, right now, we live in what I'll call the overlap years, where there's that inbreaking has, has occurred, but it hasn't been completed. It hasn't been fulfilled. I mean, think of it this way. Christ, by His work on the cross, has granted you healing, but you still get sick here and now. You 
have passed from death to life if you know Christ as personal Savior, but you're still going to die physically one day. We, believers, have the presence of the Holy Spirit within us, but we still wrestle with temptation. We are pronounced not guilty before God because we are justified in Jesus, but we still have to ask for forgiveness because we fall from time to time. We know that ultimately our citizenship is in the new heaven and the new earth, and that's where we will reside for all eternity. But still now we follow human leaders. All these ideal blessings, all of these ideal concepts will be ours one day in fullness, but right now they are only ours in part. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, every time you say, Thy will, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you are asking for the next step. You are asking for the next stage. That is the fulfillment of the kingdom when God's, earth, God's will is being accomplished on earth just like it's being accomplished in heaven right now. And you are asking, bring it on. I want that something more. I want that better day. That better day is going to be tangible. It's going to be real. It's going to be a new order. Peace and perfection established on earth once again. It will come, and with it, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion yearling together. The little child will lead them. These are word pictures that describe the, the coming of this, uh, th what this kingdom will be like. Let, let's continue to read on. Let's continue in, in, that, in that portion. Verse 7, the cow will feed with the bear, the young will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like an ox, the infant will play near the hole of a cobra, and the young child put his hand in the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. These word pictures describe a future where creation and all that is will be returned to the purpose and the program that God has for it. It's coming. Woody Allen, the comedian, not known for his Bible knowledge, he referred to this verse. He said, the lamb will lie down with the lion, and then he added, but in my opinion, he's not going to get much sleep. That is to miss the point. Because the whole point of Isaiah's imagery there is what is coming in that better day is a shocking, dramatic, unheard of place of peace and security, a shocking, dramatic change to what we're used to, because what we're used to is broken. It's broken by sin. It's diseased. It's corrupt. But a shocking reversal is going to happen. An unheard of amount of peace and security is coming. 
We brought sin into this experience, and our rebellion against God caused the creation to be diseased. The animals rebelled against themselves, each other, and humanity. They're at odds. The earth began to produce diseased crops, weeds, and thistles. But that curse is going to be reversed one day, and there's coming a better day when everything will be put back in its place and ruled over by an ideal king. And in his kingdom, predators will be comfortable with prey and vice versa. In his kingdom, a child will be safe with what we call poisonous snakes. It's, it's meant just to seem unimaginable in how beautiful it's going to be. And the extent of this kingdom, look at verse 9. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Everywhere. For all eternity, the ideal king will rule in an ideal kingdom, and you will be part of it if you know him. And you're actually part of it already, in part, in glimmers, just a breaking through. But all that stands between this fulfillment, this ideal reality, and the present in which we live is the command of God. All that God has to do is give the order, and this better day will come. And Isaiah is saying, he will give the order. He will do that. The kingdom now is limited in its scope, limited in its effect, not because God is limited, but because there is a timetable that the universe is following because God is guiding it with his unseen hand. But one day this will come. And Isaiah is not so much talking about when as he's talking about by whom. This will come because of Jesus, because he will come. And that's the encouragement. If you're a child of God today, you're an heir to this kingdom. If you're a child of God, the, the, the spirit of the king dwells within you, and you are the subjects of this kingdom. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he wants to produce the fruit of this kingdom in you now. He wants that change to begin so that you can be the example of what's coming, God ruling in my life. The kingdom is active rule now within us, but one day, forever, everywhere in His fulfillment. So that's why Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom. Seek to let God take over and rule within you. As you surrender to the rule, you show that you are the subject of the king. So how do you get into this kingdom? It's not automatic. It doesn't just happen. It's a decision that we need to make. Jesus explained how you get into the kingdom in Matthew 18. He said this, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying is this, no one enters the kingdom of God without being converted. And conversion starts with the death of pride. Conversion starts when we understand that I need to repent of my sin, that I have walked away from God and I need to turn to God in faith. And when we turn to God in faith, conversion happens, the change happens. And it's not something that we do. The kind of change that Jesus is describing here is not human work. It's God's work. But when you turn to Him in faith, God says, I will do that work within you, and you will be part of the kingdom. 
The Apostle Paul put it this way, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves or from yourselves. It is the gift of God. All of that, that process, turning to God in faith, receiving His grace, all of this is God's gift to you. And you need, you need to take that gift if you haven't. If you're home watching on, te- on the television, you need to take this gift if you haven't taken it. Because what Isaiah is saying here, just as sure as Jesus came in the manger in Bethlehem, He's coming again. And one day the clouds will roll back and the voice of the archangel will be heard and the trumpet call of God will sound and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That's the future reality that's coming. That's the final consummation. The first time he came in humility in a manger, but the next time he comes, he's going to come as king. He's going to come as the conquering king. And notice what he will do. Verse 4, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, the breath of his lips. He will, with, with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Have you ever wondered why the prophets say it that way? The imagery exactly shows up again in the book of Revelation. With the rod of his mouth, the breath of his lips, he slays the wicked. Why is it described that way? The prophets want you to understand that this, when Jesus comes, He will accomplish the eradication of evil with no effort. It's just going to be like, it's just breathing, breathing out. It's going to be no effort for Him to bring about the consummation, no effort for Him to judge the wicked, no effort for Him to inaugurate the fulfillment of this kingdom. It is going to happen. He is coming. And I'm just asking you, are you ready? Because you have to be ready. He will come. And all things will end as the new kingdom begins. I want you to be ready. And you get ready by faith. You get ready by the change that Jesus talked about. Become like a little child. Push away pride and turn to Him in faith, and He will make you ready. Now, maybe you're here and you're saying, I haven't done that. Or maybe you're at home or over in the video venue. You're saying, I haven't done that. I'm going to help you do that because it's a faith that has to start. It doesn't just happen. You need to choose, and you choose in prayer. Would you pray with me? Bow your heads and close your eyes. And I don't know if anybody here is in a situation where you're saying, you know, I'm not sure I'm in the kingdom. Or maybe you're watching on TV, I'm not sure I'm in the kingdom. But you can be. And the king invites you. And he asks you to enter by turning to him in faith, expressed in a prayer inside of you. He'll hear. And if that's what you need to do, I'm going to ask you to do it this way. Just silently repeat these words in a prayer to God. Lord Jesus, I need you. I ask you to forgive my sin. I ask you to make me your child. Make me part of this forever kingdom so that I can be yours. I believe you died on the cross and you rose again. And I believe that you can save my soul today. Do that, I pray. And Lord, I don't know who's prayed that prayer here or maybe at home in their living room watching on the TV. But Lord, I pray that someone has if they need to. 
because I know that's your will. I know that's what you want. You want to rule in our hearts, and you want us to be the subjects of your forever kingdom. So, Lord, I pray that as we say yes to that and our lives begin to change, we will look to you more and more, that we will be able to live out what it means to be a subject of the king, an heir to the kingdom. Thank you, Lord. Thank you in advance. I know you want to accomplish that in our lives. For we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you pray that prayer to receive the Lord with me today, whether here or at home, I'm going to invite you to text the word faith to the number that's on your screen, 209-257-8768. And when you text the word faith to that number, I'll respond to you with a form to fill out so that I can get your address, and I will send you this booklet called Now What? Living Out Your Christian Faith, a great uh, first steps for new, be- new believers. I'd love to send that, but I can't send it unless I know uh, where, where you are. So go ahead and fill that out. Text that letter, uh, text that number, and we will be in touch with you. Well, the team is back to lead us in a closing song today. Let's stand together as we sing. Amen. Join in with us in the song of redemption. Let's sing. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. A man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. Then you came along and put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied deep in your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing. Nothing To show you my weakness, my failures and flaws, Lord, you've seen them all. You still call me friend, cause the God of a mountain is the God of the valley. Your mercy and grace won't find me again. Sing it out. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Sing it again. Nothing. Yeah.
better than you oh there's nothing better than you oh there's nothing nothing is better pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to be together to worship. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the great and coming King. We pray that in this week ahead, we're able to represent you well in the words that we say, the actions that we take, the things that we do. Lord, we pray that we would make Jesus look good in the way that we live. Help us accomplish that. For we pray this all in your gracious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming today.